0: Welcome to episode 20 of the Critical Social Worker, a revolutionary storytelling podcast. My name is Christian Stutler. I'm a professor in the Social Work Department at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And this morning, as you can see behind me, I'm broadcasting live from Auk Bay, Alaska. Uh, and like I said, as you can see behind me, it's another rainy day, uh, typical for here in uh, Southeast Alaska. One of the cool things, though, is this uh, last couple of weeks, we've had several pods of orcas hanging out in the bay behind me lately. So if you see a bunch of boats behind me, uh, tourist boats, there's likely some uh, orcas swimming around. It's salmon season, so they're probably out there hunting. Um, You know, I always, as a kid, I always dreamed of interacting with orcas or even just seeing them, you know, ever since that movie Free Willy came out. I don't know what year it was, but I was just a young boy. And it always inspired me. I was always intrigued by By orcas, And I'm very grateful for the uh, experiences with wildlife I've had at this house. But sadly, I've got to report that this is the last time I'll be broadcasting with this view behind me. Um, We are, I should say, my little family. We're going nomad for a little while, uh, which I'll be sure to report on on a later episode. Another story for another day, I think. But uh, this morning, I'm joined here by my intrepid student co-host, Mark. Mark, welcome back to the show. Mark's in Fairbanks. It's all the way up there by the Arctic Circle, but I heard reports. You have to tell us about it, Mark, that there's a 90-degree uh, heat wave coming up. Uh,
1: so what's up with that, and how are you, Mark? <laughs> doing good, doing good. Uh, yeah, there's supposed to be a heat wave coming up here. I really don't feel it much yet, but it's its actually doing really good. Uh, I'm feeling really good up here, kind of like a not that bad of a summer, you know, for us. Uh, but I, yeah, I really want to get into, uh, uh, our guest here, Barbara Schmidt and how you doing, Barbara?
2: Oh, thank you, Mark. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm super excited to be here as well. And, uh, just taking some deep breaths. There's, I feel like there's an incredible purpose and opportunity here. So just want to thank you both. Um, thanks for asking.
1: That's that's awesome. So for our, for for the people out there, Barbara holds a master's degree in from uh, Georgia, George Washington University in art therapy. She works with in, inpatient and she worked with inpatient outpatient settings with art therapy and mental health uh, as a mental health professional. Her favorite is uh, adolescent residential treatments. She's an artist. She's a writer. Uh, she, she believes in that uh the, that healing and the alchemical uh powers of that creation and expression and actually this year this past year in March i mean well this year in March i should say two thousand twenty three mm-hmm. uh her company f y i was born mm-hmm. and a provisional patent and introducing uh, therapeutic communication tool through And individual individual expressions through uh, detection and uh, you know interpretation and enhancement through storytelling, found found founded through storytelling and everything like with that. And FYI is designed through a in person and a remote through software that can connect. You know. Your clinicians to your patients through the smartphones we have and the tablets so it's a great tool in enhanced dialogue health and mental health and in the mental health field and field her particular utilization of uh, the fyi she wants to kind of get it in, get into that brand new field that's still coming out and needs to come out of the psychedelic and psychedelic sciences and the psychedelic assistance of that therapy space. And and it specifically focuses on the nature and healing of the trauma. FYI does encourage the aid integration and to reduce uh, for harm reduction and opens the doors for communication for the expression. And it recognizes the safety of it. And support in the individual in, in the individualism that's necessary in that therapy and integrates that in, in a very interactive and in, in a great experience with it, and she also, like myself, uh, is a dog lover
3: and spends yeah. that
1: time with that great pup, hazel so yeah. from the <laughs> <laughs> from there, what are we going to be talking about today uh their professor.
0: Yeah, right on. Thanks Mark. And uh really excited for this episode with Barb. We're going to uh can't wait to get down to it, but there's just a few things that uh, as as always we got to cover first, Mark.
1: Yep. So the critical social worker is supported by the social work department in the University of Alaska Fairbanks. However, we want to be clear that any opinions expressed in this podcast, whether it be the hosts, the guests, the listeners that call in, don't necessarily reflect the values of the Social Work Department, College of Liberal Arts, the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and any of its associates. So we need to remember the opinions and ideas shared, shared belong to the speaker alone.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mark, and that's important.
4: If you don't like something that one of us says, we could be opinionated folks. If you don't like what some mm-hmm. of what uh, one of You can find that on all our uh, information uh, here on call in, but yeah, take it up with us. Our
0: opinions are our own. And uh, yeah, with that being said, Mark, you mind sharing our mission statement?
1: Gladly. The critical social worker podcast unfolds unique stories and diverse perspectives to foster critical dialogue, empathy, and understanding for all listeners through storytelling Grounded in social work values, we aim to change ourselves and the world one story at a time. Mm. Thanks, Mark.
0: And one of those underlying themes of that mission statement is obviously the idea of telling stories. So we here at the Critical Social Worker we believe that each individual is multi-layered with unique life experiences, and we want to help
4: unfold some of these that help build critical consciousness. And
1: also, we need to give a shout out to uh, the University of Alaska, Fairbanks, which is one of the top rated online schools for BSW program in the country. Greatly affordable in school tuition and anywhere around the world, you can come and actually do this with great professors and 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 an indigenous focus. So you can't really get that much anywhere else. So I would say go and do it. I am. (laughs) Yeah. Check
0: us out. And the best way to find uh UAF social work is just to Google it. UAF social work or look on Facebook. Uh, Same thing. UAF social work. What about you? Do you have a story to tell you interested in coming on the show as a guest to tell your story or to share your stories?
4: Your story on this platform, then I'd love to hear from you. Just uh, like
0: I said, hit me up with an email or chat with me on here. C.A. at Alaska.edu or look UAF, up, uh, UAF social work on Facebook, or you can find us on Instagram at a conscious party. Mark.
1: Yeah. If, if you value this, this podcast, the critical social worker, I encourage you to support us at the and put a review in Spotify, Apple podcast, or even just follow us on call-in.
0: Yeah, right on. That's the very best way that you can support. Uh, a lot of people ask how they can support the podcast. And that's the number way you can support us is by following us here on call-in and uh, writing reviews on Spotify and Apple. And that's kind of tricky,
4: but if you could figure out how to do it, we'd appreciate your review. Um, well, all right. I think it's about time. hey yo everyone gather around it's story time brought
0: to you by the university of alaska fairbanks department of social work and a conscious party productions you are listening to the critical social worker a revolutionary storytelling podcast
3: a conscious party
0: revolutionizing our minds
3: elevating our consciousness
0: changing our worlds
3: your story,
0: my story,
3: our, our story.
0: story. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. Welcome officially to episode twenty of the Critical Social Worker, a revolutionary storytelling podcast. Now, I'm as eager as you are to dive into this provocative and exciting dialogue with our special guest Barb, and uh, but I believe it's essential that I utilize my this opening space this morning to recount a story that might not be directly connected to our guest, but it's without a doubt significant for me and timely. So today I wanna to honor the memory of a dear friend of mine who I believe to be a remarkable man. His name was Dr. Matulu Shakur. He recently embarked on his last journey from this realm on earth, and passed on to something different. Um, I wanna remember him today, not as some kind of hero or some kind of villain. I think people think both of this man, Uh, Like I said, I don't want to remember him as a hero or a villain, but I want to remember him this morning as a human, Uh, you know, with all of the complexity and depth that humanity offers. Dr. Matuli Shakur led a remarkable life. It was woven with threads of resistance, resilience, and determination. He was a man whose compassion for the oppressed and the marginalized was only rivaled by his determination. healing through acupuncture to his unique conception of truth and reconciliation. Every phase was a testament to his indomitable spirit. Uh, Dr. Shakur was a man known for many things, uh, but perhaps most controversially, his involvement with the Brinks robbery and the liberation of Asada Shakur from prison. The narrative surrounding this event has been steeped in controversy, yet it's crucial to note that this, uh, this act or these acts were not born out of a vacuum was born out of desire to fight an oppressive system, an attempt to liberate a woman who herself was a potent symbol of resistance and resilience. This is where I entered the picture. In uh, the spring of 2016, I was just a master's degree student at the University of Hawaii. Um, And I had the unique privilege of taking an elective course, uh, an American studies course. As a part of our final project, we were asked to engage with the primary document related to the course content. After reading and dialoguing about political political prisoners, Angela Davis emphasized the importance of not just doing work on behalf of prisoners, but working with them directly. I was inspired by what she had to say, and uh, I decided to to write to Dr. Shakur. Growing up, I'd always empathized uh, with the life and struggle of his stepson, Tupac Shakur. He's a popular rapper when I was growing up. And uh, I'd heard Matulu's name mentioned several times in many different uh, songs and some interviews. So writing to him was kind of an impulse driven by curiosity, empathy for his situation and an inclination to understand the truth. Uh, Honestly, I didn't think he would write me back but I was surprised. Less than two weeks later, I got a letter back. His reply was filled with a sense of urgency and wit, a commitment to aid in my quest for the truth. He shared a paper he'd written on the U.S. Uh, truth, and concili- truth and conciliation excuse me, truth and reconciliation, uh, a revolutionary idea seeking healing and closure for a nation's collective trauma. He expressed belief that his son Tupac was a revolutionary mind that needed to be studied deeper and encouraged me to listen to him. Dated 3 16 this is what the first letter I received from him said. Dear Christian, I did receive your letter and request to aid your research involvement and involvement in Sister A.D.'s class. You interest me because it seems that you are on your own search and quest for the truth. At this moment, I'm preparing for a mandatory release or mandatory release parole hearing after 30
4: years was to be released on February. I don't have any time to be civil. Just kidding. But what I'm doing to aid you is hopefully I'm sending you
0: a paper I wrote on a U.S. Truth and Reconciliation Commission. This paper is the first that's been written by me. It it would, I think, be an honest debate, and I'd like to have Sister A.D.'s guidance of it. Copy this and send it back to me, and I'll send the next one, only because I've already sent out many and my resources are low. You asked me about my son. It is my opinion and belief uh, that my son Tupac was a revolutionary mind, that needs to be studied deeper. And I should say, he had a very important contribution to give to your generation. Listen to him, Christian, and you will learn. Anyway, I'd like to stay in touch. And if God willing, I'm released sometime and you haven't written back. Write my son at this address. Give my good sister, Angela, a big hug and tell her thanks for not stopping. Keep moving forward, Dr. Matulu Shakur." So yeah, I did this. uh, When I read that letter in class, actually, uh, the class Gave, uh, gave it a standing ovation, uh, you know, most people's primary documents were, were much different. So it was really a profound moment for me, but uh, you know, my relationship with him continued and our correspondence grew over time. Uh, and Dr. Shakur was, was always extending kindness and thoughtful concern toward me and my family, often, sh- often showing more concern for us than his own situation in federal prison with cancer. This kind of compassion, despite the tumultuous life that he had led, was truly inspirational for me, and he offered me advice on multiple occasions. Dr. Shakur's journey came to a peaceful end uh, just recently. A warrior till his last breath, his life will undoubtedly serve as an enduring inspiration. For many generations to come. So in honoring his memory today, I just want to request just a brief moment of your time, a moment of silence to acknowledge uh and respect the passing of Dr. Shakur, a revolutionary spirit, my friend, and mentor. Thank you. All right, and as much as uh some of us might mourn his loss. Let's remember his words. He would insist there's still work to be done. And with that in mind, let's shift our focus, uh, to today's guest and uh, our dialogue. Barb, how's it going? Thanks so much for joining us. How are you?
2: Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. And, and, uh, I'm sort of soaking in the power of what you just shared. I'm, I'm so grateful for the spirit of Dr. Shakur. I'm, I might venture to say that perhaps some, some of that divine power might've been called in for this, for this particular moment. So I'm feeling some power. I'm really grateful. Thank you so much, Ace. Appreciate it. Yeah. Happy to be here. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's great to be here. Last time I, like well, I guess uh, we spoke yesterday getting prepared for the podcast, but the last time I spoke to Barbara was um, at least, at least uh, you know, with our voices was uh how long ago do you think that was? Three or four years ago.
2: Yeah. At, uh,
0: Kt Ktuh Honolulu FM Honolulu.
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, we,
0: we we did a a little segment on psychedelics back then.
2: We did. And
4: uh, yeah, so I'm 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 very happy to have you back talking to you. Discussion on psychedelics. Let's talk a little bit about you and what you've got going on. I was wondering, Barbara. Can
0: you start us off by sharing the story of the conception of FYI? What led to that? What led to its inception?
2: Oh, that's such a great question, and I was I was thinking about it a little bit with uh, after we spoke yesterday and preparing, and and everything this morning sort of left me and said you're you uh, are going to show up in this present moment, and so I do that with a lot of vulnerability, and I um, I, I want to thank everyone listening in and and holding kind of some space um, because this is personal. This is very personal. Um, FYI came to me um, kind of after a culmination of realizing that there was tremendous potential and a propensity for um, growth and change and healing Uh, Within the mental health field, Um, psychedelics are a branch of that for sure, and psychedelic healing, and it holds a special um, arena that I'm excited to speak about with you too. But that said, also within the mental health field, um, in the sense that we are so powerful and yet simultaneously so fragile. And that's because we have, I think, a duality. We have a self and we have a soul. And... Ideally, um, ideally, there would be a merge or an integration or a meeting of those two, which I think we're born with, but I think there's a, sh- a change and a shift that happens as we live in this world. And talking about stories, and, you know, I, I've been thinking about the stories we tell ourselves And the stories that are in our subconscious minds, um, you know, Dr. Joseph Murphy talks about the power of the subconscious mind. And I have a lot more to, uh, to sort of unpack and absorb with that concept, but the stories that live within us and within our histories are so powerful. And so FYI kind of came from some, uh, I would say I'll go ahead and say some brave, uh, efforts that I, some part of me made a decision was going to step out and and I was going to seek some healing that was unconventional because I was at a point where I didn't have any other choice and interesting things happened. Um, um, There were mixed results with this, with with more than one effort to Gain healing and perspective and introspection, um, and self-discovery and staying as, let's see, staying as, as general as I can, I can tell you, I felt strong enough to ask for help maybe one more time. I don't know if anyone else out there can relate to the feeling of, of being almost at, um, you know, a point where it's, it's the lowest of low, um, and yet thinking, okay, one more try, I've got to try this one more time. And I did that and, um, and and many things happened, one of which was to be re-traumatized, to be hurt further. And it took me a long time to realize that so that alchemy is something that science and nature um, and community can provide. And I made a decision that instead of sitting with the pain and the kind of re-traumatization and the new effects of taking that risk, instead of percolating with that and letting that settle in as even more to overcome, I decided to try to put it into action. And it's a process, it's still happening. Um, But that said, uh, it it became uh, a way for me to try to heal myself, if, for lack of a better process or lack of a better way of describing it. Um, and, and very bluntly, I got a strong message coming in kind of from a large, it felt like a
3: large presence, maybe divinity, maybe the collective about suicide. I am not the only one to experience something uh, like I just described. And
2: that if I experience this, then perhaps others feeling the same way who would not want to come forward or who would not want to self-report might be going through something similar. So it honestly, this, this, um, set of, of processes for storytelling and for sharing and for communicating came from some, some deep need for healing and some pretty, um, salient feelings of despair, uh, and a need to really dig deep and, and find a solution. And, um, and that was kind of the birth. And that's not a normal, you know, I guess growth is, is kind of, you think of a plant pushing through the, the dirt, there's discomfort, there's change, there's um, literally sometimes it loses a, a frond or the plant can twist. It's not easy, it's uncomfortable. Um, this type of pain was, was life-changing and so I made the decision to find a way to share in the best capacity that I could and to put some structure to it and then to put a voice to it. And someone stepped up, um, I think with the most kind of fortuitous and amazing alignment and offered to help me get it patented, Worked pro bono with me. And together we put into motion a set of, uh, three ways of storytelling or
3: communicating, which I didn't know, by the way, before, before you and I connected, I had no idea. Storytelling, so for me, that is so powerful. But we together uh, put together a patent
2: and um, it, it really came out of a rebirth from trauma. Bluntly, if, if I can say that as bluntly as possible from, a, from personal trauma and the survival of that.
4: Yeah, thank
0: you for sharing that, Barb. What about um, you know you have a background in art therapy. How did how did that inform the development of FYI?
2: Thank you so much for asking that. So so I have always felt like there's a there's freedom in in creativity and in expression and being able to communicate really authentically and, and to kind of reflect. And what I found kind of being um, both as clinician and patient, um, what I found was that everything that was out there, um, was not necessarily personal to me other than art therapy. Um, and meaning art therapy, I mean, something as simple as a signature and figuring out, um, what I saw in my signature. I'm always seeing like patterns in car, like all in things kind of like um and i think maybe many of us do that just depending on where we're at or if we're bored or if we want to distract ourselves or um and and that has some that's something that's always come naturally to me so with art therapy and being trained in art therapy i realized that there's a great release in being creative or at least expressing you don't have to be an artist you don't have to even like art materials But with FYI, I started to try to
3: um, combine the experience of surviving um, a lot of trauma and find a way for others and for myself to express um, what that was like
2: and then to bring it to the present moment. So um, instead of what I experienced in the past, which was kind of numerical scales saying, you know, um, let's measure your progress and your growth and your change. Do you feel this way? Some of the time, all of the time, none of the time, or, you know. And symptoms I wanted to supersede and get away from. I didn't want to hear Um, in my measurement of, you know, if someone working with me to say, Hey, how are you, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? How's your energy? Do you still think about, um, this behavior or that? What do you think about suicide? Is that those were bringing back all these negatives and all the stigma that I think is still inherent in a lot of the mental health paradigms out there. And so FYI and our therapy kind of came,
3: came back to me as a way for me to start working through. by um, drawing and creative expression um, and, and finding
2: a new way of defining myself and looking at myself with something that's never, never before been out there, meaning um, a, an expressive process, and I can get into more details, but right now just kind of in general, an expressive process and an, uh, an interaction with, right now it's been myself. To assess mental health and to assess trauma and to assess the current level of functioning, but without uh, reference back to past behavior or something I was trying to already overcome, if that translates at all.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, you talk a lot about storytelling, and obviously that you know aligns with the with our goals and mission here at the, uh, the critical social worker. But um, you know, one of the things that I've learned over time.
4: or reserved especially those those folks and uh, when given an opportunity
0: to share their stories and to um to open up even the people that i think the least likely to be willing to do so end up having you know very deep and profound stories uh behind them and and many of them feel that they have never really had an opportunity to open up and share those stories and so when we provide them opportunities whether that's in therapy or talking circle or just talking to a friend or whatever you know it can be a truly revolutionary experience and i
4: think one of of uh, storytelling is how it facilitates individual expression
0: you know it allows us to express ourselves and so i was just wondering what you think about that what is uh how does FYI facilitate individual expression through its storytelling?
2: Oh, uh, great question. And I fully agree with you. That's, that's, that's a beautiful underline. Uh, I, I fully, I resonate with that and the, the way that um, the way that it can kind of facilitate that FYI,
3: it's a, it's, Normally wouldn't
2: go together, but they're acronyms. The first is FOREST. The second is YES. And the third is IRON. And FOREST, the acronym for FOREST is FIND, OUTLINE, RECOGNIZE, RELATE, RELEASE, and ELEVATE through storytelling. That's the F-O-R-R-R-E-S-T. And that's the first of three uh, of these processes and and
3: kind of many pieces of artwork slash ways of creating art where um, into a, a hotline who's who's had it and is ready to end their life
2: or who maybe has um, had too much of a substance and doesn't even know if they're really within themselves this is a way to engage with someone and start a dialogue and start finding out about that personal story. And I completely agree with you. That really resonates when you talk about the, the most powerful
3: story within. The first
2: uh, element of FYI that I just described to you is based on a painting that, um, that I did a long time, ago well, not too long ago, actually, about a year ago. It feels like, it feels like kind of a, a lifetime has gone into it. And it felt like it was more than me creating this painting. And I know that's gonna sound completely wild, but um, it, it felt like there was a lot coming in when this painting was being created. And I noticed that in this painting, I saw different things. And I asked a few friends and colleagues, I said, do you, what do you see? Do you
3: see a dog? Do you see other things? Do you see a whole, or do you see parts? And I got cave cave drawings on a cave in a in a different
2: time. one person saw um, uh, an individual walking away from another individual. One person saw another dog with emphasis on that dog's eyes. There was so much interpretation, and that's where the acronym was born from in terms of offering guidance for a participant,
3: so that we could be doing it actually interactively even right now to outline what
2: you see in this image and then relate and, and just start talking with the person that you're having the dialogue with about what you see. And inevitably what arises is something personal. It's almost, it's almost impossible for it not to be personal because it's coming from the very person who found that image. And, and then there's the opportunity with some guidance and, and reverence from the person
3: who's holding space in, to encourage whatever is, is being
2: relayed to be elevated so if someone says, I see someone walking away from someone else in this in this image, um, the person who would be uh, well-versed in the process could say, can you tell me how it would feel to have that change or to have that be a better feeling if that person is relaying something that's conveying a difficult state. And it's a process of of truly elevating a personal story individually and uniquely from the person telling it without anything that's preconceived, without any ability to manipulate or um, contrive, or even set a preconceived notion for an outcome. It, it comes solely from the individual. And then through that software, also there's the ability to track and kind of create an electronic journal of sorts and to see what
3: changes over time. Um, through those stories and through the uh, projection onto two other elements and time dependent, I can I can get into those, but they're similar.
2: These are these are essentially um, images, either pre created or one is is based on a interactive creation that's very simple. It's almost like a scribble, but it has a little more to it. And the individual who participates has a chance to express create it make a mark and then have a dialogue about what was created and out comes the story
0: yeah thank you for that um let's see if we can tie it into psychedelics. psychedelic the narrative of even just my life and how psych how the narrative of psychedelics has changed when i was um you know a teenager growing up uh, there was like you know, there were the psilocybin magic mushrooms going around. I, it makes me wonder, um, you know, where they came from. I lived in Utah, so I don't know if they came from Oregon or somebody grew them there themselves. It's interesting to think about where they might've came back uh, from back in the nineties. Um, and then you, you know, you, if you fast forward all the way to, d- to today, you know, I think people like Joe Rogan have talked about psychedelics for over a decade on, on his, on his popular podcast. Um. There's been several books, you know, like Michael popular author Michael Pollan's has put out uh, how to change your mind. Uh popular author that we use in, in my courses quite a bit, Dr. Gabor Mate, has has ran um, some some therapeutic processes using psychedelics. Uh just recently I was uh curious, I saw an advertisement uh about psychedelic therapy from the home. And I really didn't I knew that there that that uh, like ketamine was being used uh you know um
4: in in therapy but i didn't know that you... from what i could gather the i think the place was called better you uh
0: better and then just the letter u and uh from what i could gather you just had to meet with the introductory meeting and then you had to meet with the doctor once and then they would send you ketamine and like everything from a music playlist and everything so you had a setting um so it was very interesting to me i didn't take them up on the offer i'm a little bit which we, hopefully we can talk about this in a minute, Barb. I'm a little bit uh, freaked out whenever, you know, corporations get a hold of things like this. And so I'd like to, to see, it, see it through a little bit further before I have com- commit to believing in, in something like Better You. But I was wondering, Barb, you, you know a lot about this. Uh, and you just, as a, a matter of fact, attended the, the MAPS conference. And so I was wondering, what it, you know, from your perspective, what is the current state of psychedelics and where do you see it heading?
2: Oh, another great question. Thank you. Um, the MAPS conference uh, was, I'm just, I'm seeing a globe in my head right now. There was so much, there was, um, I felt so, so grateful to be there.
3: And it maybe, was very- maybe
4: called, uh
3: No, I'm so sorry. Absolutely. Yes. Like, so- studies. Um, and I think I would, I would say slash science. I
2: think science is right in there and that's, um, that encompasses so much. Um, and the conference was really, a, a juxtaposition of, um, of science and research and presentations from, uh, renowned speakers. I, there, I attended a, um, uh, shared uh, again (laughs) here we go storytelling Mm -hmm. they shared um, a retreat that they went uh, that they participated in and uh, involved ketamine in microdoses and worked through some family systems and um, and and advocated for each other with their skills and with their um, knowledge and everything that they've kind of Come to the table with, um, and then used the, the dissociative properties of ketamine or sort of that, the, the heart opening, which is a little more MDMA, but, but ketamine can be,
3: um, I would say, maybe consciousness elevating. Um, so the conference had those
2: aspects. It, it got very specific. There, was, uh, there were panels about psilocybin and Lyme disease. Which is another thing I can directly relate to, and was um, was something I, I wanted to just duplicate myself and be many places at once because there were so many, there was such a wealth of information, um, substance abuse
3: um, disorder,
2: and then... the was a place where you could go, Um, the Zendo project was there, was present and Zendo is a chapter of maps that you would find like at Burning Man at a music festival um, when there's, you know, substances or psychedelics consumed or maybe in combination of other substances or just energy that can be too much to hold, that can be overwhelming and an intervention um, is called for. So the th- that was there. There was actually speaking of dogs, Mark and you and I, and and then we ace with your story about um, you know the
3: the wolf howl. We spoke about a little bit about Romeo yesterday. There was a place where you could just go directly and get
2: um, therapy by and, and and kind of an intervention or a way to ground by petting a dog. There were service dogs there where you could just literally have that palpable feel of fur under your fingers to just sort of come back in to yourself. So, um to answer and I may have to ask you to repeat uh, the second part of your question, but maps was sort of all of that. This this conference in Denver was all of that. And um I think what you had asked was where I see the um the space currently kind of what's happening in the psychedelic space. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for asking that as well and and from from Varying perspectives, but from a perspective right now that feels exciting and also I want to temper with a lot of humility and reverence, I think we're moving forward in um, in an area where there is, again, great promise, already proven um, research that shows that psychedelics
3: are, can, and will help And there's already the baseline established
2: that psychedelics affect us by via dissociation. And, and you just mentioned um, Gabor Mate and, and some of the greats in the field of trauma and in the field of mental health and the field of sort of, I think, soul, um, I would say soul recognition. And to me, psychedelics, and I think what I, what I experienced in the conference, uh, psychedelics can be a tool to access all of that. Um, there is a caveat or from my personal experience and from, um, those I've interacted with, I do think it's headed in, um, a way and in a direction where there needs to be an incredible amount of awareness and an incredible amount of harm reduction and rails put in place, um, for safety because I think there's so much excitement about healing and change and a new answer um, when we all know kind of what hasn't worked for us in the past that
3: I think there is the, the, um, the possible. The safety that I
2: referred to in the very beginning in terms of someone who is, is with an individual in academy and clinic during a psychedelic experience. Um, may not understand what it truly means to dissociate unless they have either experienced it themselves or unless the training that's in place is intentional to the extent of, um, holding the highest regard and respect for who we are as individuals. So there's a lot there. Um, I think it's going forward at a very fast pace and it's exciting. But I also think we need to take a step back, especially with the substances that are coming down the pipeline that are likely next to be decriminalized. MDMA is one that comes to mind um, because these substances are so affective and can be so heart opening. I think that they can also um, have, have the, the possibility
3: of um, heart opening to the extent that our instinct. That we are our own witnesses
2: can leave, can also dissociate, um, depending on dose, depending on set and setting, depending on intention. And so I do have um, some cause when I think of um, capitalism and money to be made, and numbers and and quantity versus quality. I think that all of those things come in. And my hope is that, and, and my hope with that. F-
3: this huge collective interest and push to just
2: kind of accept everything that is already there without maybe holding a magnifying glass up to some things that need to change first.
0: Yeah. I got so many questions for you, Barbara. So many like <laughs> was popping up in my head when, okay. when you're talking,
4: but one of those I have is so I used to supervise a juvenile treatment facility facility was in salt lake city utah and all of our kids were from out of state they were from alaska hawaii uh
0: black kids from back east um native kids from from south dakota and montana and whatnot but anyways so all these kids are sent sent to utah and they can do there was a lot of other things wrong with the place as well but no matter what you do with the kid if they just do excellent in therapy and they're you're doing great. And, you know, maybe whatever they got, maybe they got off medication or maybe they found a medication that worked for them or whatever. But then at the end, they still ultimately have to go back to the same environment, most likely that created who the, the life and the, the behavior that they have.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And so my question regarding psychedelics is this, you often hear, um, you know, folks going down to South America or Central America for ayahuasca ceremonies, or even if they were just doing it locally via some kind of uh, psychedelic assisted therapy we've been talking about well what about how does it tie into their actual reality if that makes sense
4: how because if there's something that changes in their mind for say like my place most most likely so how do we how do we reckon with that you know with person and environment
2: that's so beautifully put and i think that's such a Oh, uh, I have my perspective only. And then there's the, there's the word is perspective. So there's, as you said, there are physical changes. There are physiological changes that happen in the brain, in the prefrontal cortex, you know, uh, cortex. After the substance has worn off, after the psychedelic has left your body, you literally, um, or, or a, an individual literally has a, a change in perspective because of the change in the neurochemicals that are being secreted. Uh, there's so much research out there, and I don't have the, um, the neuropsychiatry background to, um, be, you know, to highlight as, as well as I'd like, but there's that aspect. And then uh, I think there's the just as important or even possibly more potent aspect of um, integration and that's a word I think that is used so often and sometimes it loses meaning or it can evolve. But I think that you go back to the setting that, that, you know, is, is maybe wrought with trauma. You go back to the setting where you could get triggered. Um, with your example, the kids go back and they're with the same people that didn't see them, that didn't see their value, that didn't even take the time to hear their story, whatever the case may be. Um my, feeling and experience and hope is a, a reboot and a shift so that that circumstance that is physically there when they return, it still matters. It matters profoundly, but it can be almost seen as a force from the trees. Um, kind of way in that perspective is changed and the healing that happens within the individual, the, um, self-acceptance changes in a way that if a toxic person is still there waiting for them when they return or a toxic situation, their sense of self, there can be a new way of seeing the self and feeling the self. And that's kind of referred to as the default mode network in a lot of articles, um, it's a way that we judge ourselves. It's a way that we ruminate and perseverate on a lot of negative messages that we get from many sources, society, um, those in our lives who influence us, and those stick. Those live in us. I mean, the, Dr. Vanderkolk wrote
3: the book, "The Body Keeps the Score." That's that's a real thing and that's a true reality. Most like you your you have a river that you can go down. And instead of going down that same
2: path where there's almost a a carving underneath the river in the gravel because it's just you've gone down it so many times, you can take a different path. You can take an offshoot because you see yourself in a new way and you don't have to see yourself the way that those who have hurt you see you, treat you, interact with you. And there comes the storytelling. You get to rewrite the story. And that opens up all kinds of new opportunity. That's the hope. <laughs> that's the hope, and that's the goal. But I think with safety again um, firmly in place, if that in a nutshell, maybe. Yeah,
4: like...
0: and, and uh, you know, you hear you do hear like going back to like what you could read. Anybody can look this up story, online stories about um, ayahuasca experiences and whatnot that seem to be profound in the moment, and there's these kind of aha moments or whatnot, but. Some of the stories that I really have enjoyed hearing about have been stories of of experience, but rather uh, little subtle changes that start to take place and manifest within their lives. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's a quantitative effect for sure. And I think it also, um, yeah, I, I think that in, 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 some ways that takes the pressure off of the performance anxiety of a ceremony or of a, an experience with psychedelics, um, or, you know, how, how do you show up, um, with the substance that, that some say will divinely change your perspective and your, your feeling in that moment. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Um, but I do believe that there is uh, the quantitative and the aha moments and that there is a change that can happen um, incrementally. I think it's a relationship with a self. So it really depends on where, where someone is with themselves. And, and the phrase, you are the
3: medicine is pretty popular in the space right now. I think it takes incredible courage a huge profound transformation in one setting or in one
2: experience. Um, our, Our psyches are unusual in the sense that, you know, an antibiotic can eradicate infection. A broken bone can be reset. There can be predictability and there are parameters around that progress or those wounds. But with ourselves, our psyches, our souls, we have to
3: trust. That really means you have your back,
2: and and so that can be incrementally, that can be over time, that can be situation specific, and it can also be all at once. I think it's it's very different for each person um, and each individual, um, and, and there's and therein lies the promise.
0: And that kind of lies counter to what uh, some of the medical model co- models that we use, right? Because it's hard to.
3: Yes.
4: Podcast already. And, uh, you know, I just want to pose, you know, a question, you know, and then Dr. Carl Hart, you
0: know, he, he has the book, I can't remember what's it called and chase the, I can't remember, but it's basically, it's basically arguing that we, that as um, Americans, you should have the liberty to use whatever drugs that you want as responsible adults. Um, and I wanted to kind of in, Pose that against responsibility because and, and let's tie that in tie this into harm reduction so part of my question is we've we've been talking about harm reduction several weeks several of the past weeks of this podcast but you know we've been talking about it in the context of you know heroin needle exchanges um naloxone things like that so first of all what is what does harm reduction mean when we're talking about psychedelics uh what it what is harm reduction and you know how do we I guess, you know, cause we talk about decriminalize, you know, some of them, some of the substances are being de- decriminalized in different places. Um, you know, how do we balance the responsibility of being safe and reducing harm
4: with what Dr. Carl Hart argues for, which would be the liberty that if you're a responsible adult, you should... And, and again, what is, what is harm reduction in this context?
3: Great
2: questions. Um and is this are I don't is this posed specifically to me? I want to invite Mark in if you know I'm not I never feel uh if there's an interruption or if there's an overlap, I embrace that. So <laughs> I just wanna put that out there as You're well.
0: Yeah, welcome to-
3: okay, awesome. Um so for me harm reduction is Experience that were unexpected and unwelcomed and consent lines were crossed.
2: Um, so harm reduction to me is pivotal. It's, it's the backbone, it's the underlying law. Um, and I think it needs to be redefined in some senses. And I think that um, harm reduction can be defined as having something in place. Um, if, it's at a, if it's at a music, you know, if it's at like Burning Man or if it's at a festival where there's more recreational use, then there's a medical model in place and there's something possibly like the FYI, something new where someone can, um, be able to communicate to the best of their ability that they are either out of control and not able to, um, feel safe within themselves. So, you know, you hear stories and I think it gives psychedelics a bad name, but if it, that's true. You hear stories of someone ingesting too much and jumping out a window or running off a cliff or, um, and and I think we need harm reduction in the sense that we need a measure of interaction where someone can come interact with another um, again remotely or in person and convey their reality
3: Um, you know uh, does that convey a sense of at least feeling safe within
2: themselves or does it does it feel like something that is not safe and frightening and or possibly re-triggering or possibly even um you know like with ketamine they call that a a, a k-hole is there is there i think there needs to be a way to allow for communication and allow whomever is in the psychedelic experience to communicate if they don't want to do that during the experience if it's a therapeutic experience where that's a kind of a solo journey or a solo um experience that's fully uh, I, think, I think that's very healing and can be very therapeutic. And then afterward, the communication comes in, um, and that's where integration comes in as well. So I think harm reduction can be defined in that sense. I think harm reduction is also defined as training those who are going to be interacting with patients, with individuals who experience psychedelics, whether it's in research,
3: whether it's in private setting, whether it's in the states that are now, um, you know, legalizing and decriminalizing, for example, providers, how to conduct psychedelic assisted therapy. I believe there needs to be
2: very clear and very um, detailed provisions so that therapy can be a term that truly means growth and, and truly involves the individual rather than what happens traditionally in therapy, which is, you know, terms like transference, countertransference. Um, so when I think of harm reduction, I think of right now, because some of these substances are illegal, or most of them are still have not been legalized, it allows for a great deal of power um, being in the lap of the provider, uh, whether it's a researcher, and, and it's legal in a research setting, I need to... Um, I need to make sure that I um, detail that. But, you know, the person providing the substance, the person who's kind of seen as the giver or the provider, is almost put in a godlike position at times. And I think that
3: transference of power, we can give away our power in that situation where we really want healing, we really want to experience the euphoria. And I think there, it's the Spider Man quote came up for me
2: before. And it comes up again with great power comes great responsibility. And so I think there needs to be a redefining of training and protocols that need to be in place so that when someone is in an altered state and when someone is voluntarily dissociating, because, you know, dissociation used to be a survival mechanism. If we couldn't handle something,
3: this is too much and you check out and you leave. And that's, that's the original kind of concept of dissociation. So
2: now we're inducing dissociation um, with a hope and goal of healing. And I think that, that carries with it the utmost um, and sacred need for respect and reverence and training and knowledge of what could possibly happen and then active listening and observation to be present um, to help provide a safe experience so that when that person, for example, maybe a veteran who has not experienced that surrender and lack of control, who just needs to give in to the medicine and let the experience happen so that that person can feel safe and feel held and feel like they are in a scenario where nothing unknown is going to happen, where they're not giving away their power, where they can expect certain things at least in terms of um set and setting and where they're not going
3: to come out of the experience with that whatever the experience whether it was
2: illuminating or nothing because that can happen too but the fact that they were kept they were kept safe and that if they were trusting enough to sort of leave and dissociate and go on that journey their physical body and the realm that they were in and the set and setting was all contained with the highest of integrity.
3: I absolutely respect what Dr. Hart has to say. And it goes to the fundamental, for me, it goes
2: to the fundamental of why. why do we want to leave Our bodies, or why do we want to experience um, heroin or a drug or a substance? To me, it's still to change perspective. It's it's still to do something to divert or to to experience um, an alternative. And there's a reason for that. Sometimes it's because we're bored and we just want something different. Or sometimes it's we may
3: not even know that we want to escape, but we that. And I think we are deserving of the freedom
2: and uh, opportunity to engage in that. I think where it becomes, um, you know, a need to navigate is, as you said, will it harm, harm anyone else? Will it infringe upon the rights of others? And I think that involves resourcing, you know, where, where the substances are obtained. Did that hurt anyone?
3: the golden rule would apply where you would ask would this harm me or my family did I
2: obtain this in a way that could harm the planet, harm myself, harm my family and to really do the homework um, so that's a big one and that's a lot to address I just I, um, I think that, that the balance needs to constantly be kind of on on the radar and I think conversations like we're having right now are one of the biggest ways to step into that foray because you don't know unless you ask and unless you unless you sort of break the seal and start talking about it. So I really, I thank you so much for that question. It's helping me um, open up avenues in, in myself as well to start asking. So thank you.
0: Thank you for your answer. And just a had a quick thought about uh, Dr. Carl Hart. When his uh, newest book came out, uh, I, from memory, I think it's called Drug Use for Grownups, Chasing Liberty in the Land of Fear. I think is what it's called.
5: Mm-hmm. But
0: anyways... Uh, I want to go into it.
4: It's kind of divided up by different kinds of drugs, right? As you know, the safest, and you know, it's ridiculous that these are
0: that you know people are still being arrested for these kind of things and whatnot. But it was—I was laughed now thinking about it because he. He basically did the opposite and he was like people, like psychonauts is a term that they call people that are really into some people that are really into psychedelics. And, uh, you know, those advocating for marijuana, they're often conceited and they think that their drug is better than the other ones or safer or whatever. And so he kind of pushes back on that. And I was very surprised that, you know, a lot of his advocating is on behalf of like opioids and amphetamines and, and things like that, even cocaine. So check that book out if you're interested in a different perspective, Dr. Carl Hart, uh, drug use for grown-ups. But Barbara, we um, uh, like I said, we've hinted at capitalism a few times, and um, I mentioned like you know the better you thing, and I I don't know that much about the company or whatever. And uh, you know one of the narratives that's going along with psychedelics right now,
4: especially in you know in relation to therapy and whatnot. A parallel with, with marijuana a decade ago
0: or so is that it's never, it seems to me that like the legality of a drug, specifically if we're talking about like, let's say, psilocybin mushrooms or LSD or ayahuasca or marijuana, it seems to have very little to do with whether it's actually dangerous or not and whether, and it seems to have a lot to do with who's able to make money off of it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. drug dealers are the worst, right? We, we look down upon them, that's slanderous be a drug dealer that could be a slanderous term a drug dealer right and so i'm just wondering if you have any thoughts we can dialogue a little bit about like you know the integration of capitalism into the psychedelic picture whereas as uh you know as i was mentioning as a kid growing up psychedelics were largely outside of the the mainstream capitalist picture they weren't even in it was just kind of out existed outside that and maybe it had broached it previously you know with timothy leary in the 70s and whatnot but in my days in the in the nineties um it just in from my
4: perspective existed out completely outside of mainstream or capitalist culture movement um and there's a lot of money to be made. Half of me think when I first
0: started thinking about the subject matter, half of me was like, "Oh wow, they're gonna inadvertently spark the revolution by giving everybody l s d or something like that." Make it freely available, or not freely available, but you know, widely available. Well, the other half of me says danger. There's a big warning
4: sign that comes up, in capitalism <laughs> co-op, something like that. You know,
3: it's interesting. I, I, I need to.
2: It's it, <laughs> when you said drug dealer is, you know, like the, those. That is that. There's that that nomenclature. That that term. We we sort of some some viscerally even respond. It's a it's a bad thing. It's it's a word that um, has negative connotations. I personally I used to work for a pharmaceutical company. I was a I was a representative for for Eli Lilly. since and my job was to. Uh, give samples to physicians and talk with them in general about disease states and then to try to get them to write more of that company's um medications and when uh you know when it got close to the time for um a patent to possibly expire that would be you know just an unimaginable amount of money um i would say that a reverse form of creativity was sort of born and that was
3: well, how about an application for adolescents? How about minds?
2: Ayahuasca or, um, I mean, there's, there's a, a combo is um, you know, from a frog. It's something that's used only indigenously with, or that was used only indigenously with tribes. It would a very, very, it's, it's frog poison, basically. But the frog only excretes it if it's stressed, if it's if a predator is near. And now as humans, we're coming in and we're saying, well, we're going to put this frog across like almost like a roasted marshmallow So it excretes poison and then we extract that poison and we use it to heal ourselves. And that's where something in me stands up and says, no. And so I agree with you wholeheartedly in terms of the danger of putting a a dollar sign, um, and, and tying it to healing in a way where the bottom line is about how many people can we get, um, taking our medication in the way that we provide it in the way that we synthesize it in a lab, um, and without tracking results, the way that nature can sort of track results, in the sense that if you take a mushroom in a field that you find that happens to be psychogenic, you again are the medicine, and you are the person making a choice, and it's not something where the external locus of control is without, you know, is outside of you. Um, and I think the last point on that maybe is. I think a lot of practitioners and a lot of those in the in the space that would prescribe something that would be psychedelic. I don't know if they've had psychedelic experiences themselves, and I think that that is pivotal. And I would love to hear um, Ace your response on that and Mark yours. For me, I think it's I think it's incre- It's paramount to have someone if they're providing something for you that they have had an experience with that substance or something very close themselves psychedelics specifically because they are so different in that they alter consciousness Um, and they they put us in a vulnerable state where we are completely surrendering
3: control even at a microdose level um, I think if 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 we're making a personal decision so I think there's that aspect too I think there's that component where who will be prescribing
2: and have they had an experience themselves where they're ready to sort of do the work and meet the, meet the self, meet the soul and take that, take that journey. And I'd love to hear what you have to say about that because I'm, I'm just sort of freelancing here with, with that thought, but that's what comes up for me.
4: Uh, In the sense, and when I, when I say that, I just mean, Um,
0: do I think that, uh, you you know, a practitioner that had, uh, partaken in the, the the psychedelic substance that, um, that they were prescribing or giving to somebody else, I think, you know, obviously that can add a lot of perspective and, and having gone through that yourself and and being familiar with it. Mm -hmm. But I think on the other hand, I would say that, you know, somebody that was familiar enough with how to set, put up a good setting and whatnot could probably do the job depending on who the, who the, uh, you know, who the patient or the client was, mm-hmm. um, I think it just depends. I think I'm just nuanced on it. I don't know enough to specifically say, but I totally understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talked about, uh, Paul Stamets and I love how he, when he talks about, um, uh, mushrooms, about fungi, and you talk about, uh, like how the, how the, uh, how it grows the, uh, mycelium grows down rhizomatically and communicates.
4: Stains and supports each other. And I think we could learn a lot from, from the way that fungi operate and,
0: you know, forests and whatnot and how they communicate and, and look out for each other. Um, mm-hmm. To push the podcast forward a little bit, um, we've got uh, Lance, who's been uh, patiently waiting to, to chime in. And so I'm going to give him an opportunity and then we'll do this. We'll give it to Mark. We'll go revert back to our original schedule after that. And Mark can take over the mic for a while. And then we'll take other questions from, I know there's a couple of questions already in there, comments. And uh, we'll take other callers at that point as well. Um, so Lance, what's up Lance? You there?
6: Yeah, how you doing um, everyone? Hi. How's it? Howdy. So, uh, that's interesting because I don't feel like a mushroom, but I've always been told I'm a fun guy. (laughs) (laughs) There's a fungus among us. Um, Um, There you go. So uh, that comes from the lifelong use of hallucinogens. It just gives you a sense of humor. No, not lifelong. I've stopped doing them a while ago, but y'all made some great points. Kristen, you were talking about um, how long, I mean, there's no question. Position of power in our society, unless they've done hallucinogens. So they've opened their mind up to uh, other p- possibilities. I like that sentiment, you know, not to take it literally. But I'm so glad to hear Barbara talk about the things she's talking about. And you guys covered all the points I was going to make. So, other than reiterating what you're saying, like muted, but just be able to chime in occasionally and let you guys take over your, you know, it's your show, but, uh, just this cautionary tale. Uh, so I don't know how many people have more experience, not clinically as Barb obviously does, but in terms of experimentally, you know, experientially, I dealt trumps I mean, pounds and pounds and pounds of them and, uh, LSD too at one point. And I live in Syracuse, New York. It's a real great crossroads. I lived in New He was my roommate uh, at the time and it took me adjustment, you know, like psychologically I was, you know, I was like fine with it. But then to hear someone who's an active sexual guy in the next room, I had to adjust. And that was my problem. Now, okay. So good guy, but he was Catholic, very devout Catholic family. They wouldn't disown him, but they kept confronting him. You're gay. You're gay. You got to get, you know, conversion therapy, all that. Meanwhile, Fit her clothes wonderfully. He won every time he was in a uh, female impersonation contest. He was not, um, let's say, you know, blatantly gay. You wouldn't know it if you met him. Blah blah blah. So he did. He got shoes for me, one gram, and his life got confronted. Like his worlds collided. To take the page from Seinfeld, and this whole idea of this Catholic family and this. And a uh, inpatient and then finally transitional living services so he could not be on his own he had to be 24 7 in a you know in a, in a halfway house and uh, you know I was a lot more careful of who uh, I dealt shrooms to make sure that uh, you know I mean I was always careful that it wasn't going to go to kids I didn't let 16 year olds if they know sorry kid you know but if was, but even adults so you guys I just wanted to, it real y'all were saying, you know, before, but uh, it's like water, right? You need it to live, but it can kill you just like fire. So yeah. And the other thing is, it's interesting that marijuana, it's true, is almost, you know, it's used recreationally and therapeutically, you know, but we talk about hallucinogens and microdosing, and, you know, the therapeutic value. And I understand what Barbara's saying about prescription, but you know what? It can just be a fun drug. It's just fun <laughs> Nature, But what the heck, I don't see anything wrong with using it, you know, recreationally as well. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Lance. I think that, I mean, we could go into that topic, probably not just one episode, but 10 episodes on recreational use. I think
4: that the one of... legal. So it automatically bumps it up on everyone's uh, scaling
0: and and everything else. You have any thoughts, Barb?
2: I do. I, I agree. Um, it's such a great point because I'm thinking of music festivals. I'm thinking of when you look around, you go to one, you know, and, and alcohol is a drug. It's legal. Um, alcohol, you know, for me, personal experience, just people that I know, that's one sort of some people call it a vibration.
3: The inhibitions leave a lot
2: of times, and, and emotions still come up. And I, uh, anger's one that I, especially maybe in the current moment with our current, the way things are currently in the country, it seems like that's that's one way to let go, let loose. It's a barbecue. It's family. There's kids around. Alcohol's just no brainer. It's you know, it's not even questioned. Um, something like a, a mushroom is still at the schedule that it's at, and it's controlled, and yet. What I've found is you can be in a nature setting alone, you can be in your room alone, you can be at a, a festival, and you can suddenly be experiencing these pretty profound, even whether you realize it's profound in the moment or not, levels of euphoria or happiness or just settling into yourself or noticing a blade of grass in a way that before you were like, yeah, okay, I stepped on that earlier. I've got to water it or the, a new reality perspective shift. And there is still healing in that. And you don't even have to intentionally say, Hey, I'm going to need to change. But I think there's still, I think that's the beauty inherent with plant medicine, especially in that there, the wisdom's all there. We don't even have it. we don't have it in a pill. We, it's, it's through nature and through kind of the bigger picture, um, something that's so much bigger than we are. And like you were saying with the mycelium, the connectivity and that intelligence,
3: it's going to do its thing. And we
2: can pathway for us, or that forms a new positive experience. So for me, I'll just use myself as a framework for me, something that would come in and judge me later or say, Oh, you didn't get this done. Or, you know, here's this bad memory I can substitute with like, but that song just came on. And I I was talking a couple minutes ago and an alarm came on for me and it was a song. I, I kind of felt self-conscious like, Oh, I interrupted the podcast, but I have a positive association with that song and it's light and sort of effervescent. And it reminds me of that.
3: That's within us all. That's our light. And I think that, the world, politics critical and they tell us how to be and we already know.
2: A great friend of mine always reminds me of The Wizard of Oz and a scene where Dorothy is told you've had it inside all along. You just had to find out for yourself and I think whether recreationally or in the healing space or somewhere in the middle. I think that's. it doesn't have to be labeled as anything else. It's, it's an open door.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, both Lance and Barb. Um, I have some more thoughts to share as well, but uh, I wanna turn it over to Mark. I wanna give you, uh, you know, your time, Mark and
4: uh take it over, control the dialogue for hey right. hey, how you doing so i I
5: like
4: I've had experience with uh uh psychedelics, so
1: it's when my uh aunt passed away and my i'll just say my uncle and my family which has done it before you might as well just say he was my trip sitter uh because that's kind of like how they put it across now uh it 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 helps in that sense um especially having someone experienced there but that is actually in a sense you know it was illegal at the time uh but being legal, if it turns into into a therapy and being legal, I think it really doesn't matter. Uh, and, I, and I think that way just because of if you put it in the sense of, say, you're a therapist and you're going into uh, working with veterans, which I am, uh, do you have to go through war to actually be that therapist or not? then and that's how i look at it so that's that's my thought process behind it uh but the thing is you can actually get this is just me i you can get certain things out of it out of that out of those sessions like uh you can get little things that you can actually put into your meditation or something of that nature so that that's why i say that's the plus uh sometimes it's a hard opening sometimes it's not <laughs> like you guys talked about that too uh but what i really wanted to ask barb and and it goes back to that that initial thought in the beginning of when you get to that spot and you think it's the only thing left you know you got that only thing left uh so in, in a way if someone is out there and they have that and they're at that point how do you begin that journey, especially in today's days and day and age? You know, even with even with people being supportive on it, uh, but it's like, how do you get there? Is there a secret handshake? Do you got to join like a secret society? You know, or or are you just one of the lucky ones that gets accepted into that study, or do you have to travel? You know, and that's what I really—that's uh, one of my biggest questions, I guess for you, Barb. That's what I would like to know.
2: Thank you so much, Mark. That's, um, that's a, that's such a perfect question. It's, and again, I come, I come only from personal experience and then I come from, you know, being, um, in community with others. Um, I'm, I'm, what comes to mind are a few things. Um, one is community. So, the way for me, um, I started asking questions with
3: discretion and nothing was happening and I didn't know.
5: Yeah.
2: something where they could personally relate. And so, and I agree, I really appreciate the feedback about necessarily, not necessarily having to have a therapist, having had, um, a psychedelic experience. I'm malleable in that. And I'm starting to explore that a little more during this conversation because I am feeling the feeling of whatever it takes in the sense of we are losing each other to suicide at an alarming rate. I don't, I should know the statistics, but I don't. And honestly, it's because it changes so quickly. So if we value life, and if we value all we fought through to be here, and if we are truly surviving in the sense that we will do whatever it takes, then I do believe that there can be unity. And I do believe a common ground can be found. I, I don't believe it's gonna be easy, but that example that you just cited is is perfect. And my hope is that there will be more of that. And maybe if it ne- if there needs to be a financial gain in moderation then then so be it if that doesn't take the helm if there's a way to find a meeting of the minds so that people can understand that the real pandemic the real epidemic is a mental health crisis there's there's no way anybody can BS about that it's the absolute truth and in in vulnerability with all of us here and all of those listening I think if anyone's ever answered an inventory where they ask, have you ever thought about harming yourself? I, I don't know that any of us can ever say no, never. And, and maybe I'm completely wrong and out of left field, but I know that there are ways to answer those, those surveys and those, um, assessments where you can, you can lie to yourself. And I can just tell you I'm done lying to myself. And I hope that those are in leadership positions who have loved ones who care, who want change, who want a new answer look in the mirror or not look in the mirror, but who can look within themselves and say that enough, the highest statistic that we have in terms of preventable loss of life is suicide. Yeah. And psychedelics. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. And I just think psychedelics that that could be a way for legalization and understanding and responsible research to address that. And then please go ahead. I did. I wanted to, you no, know,
1: I, 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 I was just agreeing with you. It's, I, I, I think the same way. Absolutely. Uh, in, in, in some people that are. In, in, in a way, I kind of look at psychedelics as uh, if you put uh, kind of like the therapies in a. T- just take therapies and put it into like a uh, hospital setting. I think I. I it's just my opinion i look at psychedelics as as like the er setting and then you have your regular therapies and everything like that you, that's your clinic uh and then may, and maybe meditation breathing everything like that that's you you're going to physical therapy i and i kind of like what, what do you think on that aspect it, if if people actually thought that way with it uh as that
2: can you can you um give me like one more sentence in terms of um how the framing of physical I'm trying to get a real sense of Okay.
1: Okay. Okay. So your ER is kind of like your uh like I said your psychedelics those big those big chain changes that that once you go through that system go through that uh go through that experience it can change you a lot. Okay. Hopefully, I should say.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, With your other therapies, you know, take your like your CMTs and things like that. Those are like your clinics. Like you're in the clinic. Okay. You're seeing the doctor. You have the sniffles. I'm not trying to say people go there and have the sniffles. It's not like that. But I, some people look at it that way as I want a therapy that can react fast like an ER therapy, then I want to, I want to, uh, therapy that acts kind of, okay, I'm middle of the road, a normal. And then you have your meditation and breathing. That's almost like your, uh, physical therapy. Like we should be doing this every day, but here's the way to do it. You know,
2: Hmm. that makes perfect sense. I think that, are Are you asking, um, if, if is i, I I'm asking,
1: I, I'm asking if like a lot of people think of it that way uh, in, in like the psychedelic community um, as a quick reacting thing. So we can actually help this person real quick. Yeah.
2: That's, a. I think that's, that's so, that is such a pivotal point because those that I've spoken with and a lot, I think a lot of people think that one profound and, and, and possibly transformative experience could change your life. And it can. I also think that you need to be ready to dig in and do the work. Um, at, 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 yeah, correct. You know, and that means preparation. That means probably um, journaling. Sometimes for certain, you know, like with ayahuasca, that means a diet. It, it be, To me, it mm-hmm. means a, a dedication to the process and to being willing. I think psychedelics, honestly, are, are a mirror. I don't think that they can be fun. They can be... Um, a way to to take a trip or to go away and and to have fun or enjoy music or enjoy art. And that, and that again, as I said before, is still very healing. But I think they can be a mirror and they can hold up some painful truths. And with ayahuasca, um, with those ceremonies, there can be uh, messages that you're like, I've heard people say, I didn't know that was even within me or was a message for me or was that a message for someone else in the group? There is such a mix of experience that can happen. So I agree. I think that, that there's a perspective out there that there can be, one experience and it's one and done, or um, that there's the ER, which is the profound, transformative, you know, deep dive, um, maybe heroic dose. And I do think that's possible. I think it's so individually specific and and so dependent upon how committed you are to the process, what your goals are, what you um, are ready for and and where you're at on your journey in life. Are you ready to get some of, to get some answers that again might be within the whole time, like the Dorothy Wizard of Oz kind of thing, but that for whatever reason yep. you're not ready to get those answers. So you've been like, no, I'm, no, thanks, I'll work out today, or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be a workaholic, or I'll do whatever I can because I'm just not ready for those truths to hit home. And that's not with judgment. That's just. That's just the survival state that you're in. So it's like not that. I think in a way, psychedelics are an absolute pathway to truth. And if you're ready for that truth, or if that truth is one that will release you from a lot of self-judgment or a lot of wrong labels or a lot of just labels in general that that you don't identify with that don't land or hit home with you, there's the freedom and there's the release. But it can be a variety of ways to get to that. And I think it's really, I think you determine what you're going to experience, um, if that makes that's that's only my answer. But you know, it, it, there's a there's a spectrum along the way, whether it's that's microdosing fair. or you know, or breath work, or meditation. Um, yeah, but I think fair. it depends on the, the individual. That's that's only my take. But
1: no, no, that that's that's pretty much what I was asking. I just wanted to know your take on it. I think, uh, hey, professor, I think we need to uh, start. Letting some other people maybe ask some questions. What do you think? Yeah, I have one question for
0: uh, both of you, though. So, uh, Mark and and Barb, just curious. um, You know, Mark, you got a military background, and we had, you know, we talked with uh, G a couple months ago. What about like um, when we're talking about psychedelic therapy? And maybe there's, um, you know, more info out there already that I'm, I'm not aware of. But let's let's say, like in the because, because, you know, even Barb's mentioned it in the, uh, um, connected it to trauma and dealing with trauma. Well, obviously, there's there can be trauma with uh, veterans. And uh, I want to talk specifically about like combat trauma. Has there been any research on um, psychedelics utilized in therapy in that context? And if you know, if there has tell me about it, but and then also, Mark, like, what is just your perspective or your opinion on that? Do you think that's dangerous? Do you think?
1: Like, what do you think about it? Um, well, Barb, you, oh, you want say, to go, go first? Oh, I was going to say, go
2: for it. I, I would love to hear your response first, hundred percent.
1: Um. Well, my, my my response for that is uh, it's it's still to me it's up to the person, uh, because some people might be kind of hesitant for it. Some people might be like, okay, yeah, we'll try it, and it, and it might be they go through that uh, thought process of uh, you know the, of w- which one am I am I going to get you know am I going to go with the is it ketamine is it MDMA is it you know is it mushrooms am I going to have to go somewhere and do some ayahuasca I think it depends on the person obviously but that's what it really gets down to because something. It it might be someone that uh, went went through a combat situation and it keeps repeating and then all of a sudden they want to try it but then maybe some kind of to their morals might say oh no, people will be thinking about it this way and then am I going to be shunned out of like if they're a local at the VFW or the American Legion or something of that nature and and they might put the stigma on themselves because they want to try it, but then it might even be good for them. So they, it's, it's a weird thing. So that person ha I, I think has to get to that themselves in a sense. And hopefully they never get to that. This is the last act, you know, portion of it. So, you know, with the suicides of, a, you know, i I think it's down to twenty now, but it used to be up to twenty two a day. Yeah, it was twenty two. Uh, I, I, I forget. Yeah, it's still twenty two. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's on it's on that person in my in my opinion. So yeah.
2: Um, just to piggyback on that, uh, Ace, to answer your question, yes, 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 yes. There are so many studies, and I don't have them at the tip of my fingers, but there are. That's why there are groups like Heroic Arts Project. That's why there are groups like Wounded Warrior. Um there are there there is community that's coming together and it has come together. And I think um there have been veteran voices that have said, The VA is not serving me. I I don't like getting a prescription for a week's worth of medication and then um and being told to, to return you know, and, and report back. Um, and I'm speaking not from experience with that. So with absolute reverence, respect, I have my hand on my heart right now with just with gratitude and with full acknowledgement that I cannot relate to combat trauma. I cannot imagine um, what that would be like to have triggered in complex PTSD. But in terms of what's happening, um, I think that is another area that, Mark, you just brought out in, in terms of alliance And working together, I believe that it's Crenshaw, um, Representative Crenshaw and um, Alexandria Cortez. um, They're coming together to try to get to get a bill passed quickly um, for suicide, for PTSD. And there is, if if anything, um, again, another thank you, another big call out and gratitude for veterans who are not used to necessarily, you know, there's there's um, a. Culture of not talking about feelings and about you, you get the job done and and um, You're saving lives through your service, and that's the absolute truth and then later you have the trauma You have the PTSD you have the flashbacks you have all the triggers and who is there and what is working and my answer right now I think is not a lot um, Hence the suicide statistics that we're talking about so absolutely is there are there studies happening? Yes. I, I, I think veterans are the group that are sort of the canaries in the coal mine in the sense that um, there's a lot of unknowns. What happens in a academy session if somebody who's trained in combat um, has a trigger and experiences a, a K-hole and is it, who's uniquely trained to deal with that? I know Horo cars project does have they have ayahuasca retreats and they I believe that they are. Um, branching into ketamine. There's research being done. There are groups of people that have been through it and understand not only the trauma, not only the training, um, but understand that delicate need to hold space and to provide uh, an arena in which to express that and acknowledge that and call it by name and to take that stigma away. Because I think that is the darkest of shadows that can come in and... And the most judgmental of voices that can tell you well you served our country thanks for your time and now you're on your own dealing with the ramifications i think that would be the most isolating message to get and and for that reason that is a reason that i am a proponent of not fast tracking some of these things but but very quickly getting into place uh paradigms and measures in which to provide safety, provide harm reduction, provide feedback. Um, if there's going to be a study, get the feedback, get the conversations going. And that's, that's kind of, that's where FYI was born as well. Um, not from experience as a veteran, but for that experience of feeling like there's no other where, but wait, where do I go? How do I talk about this? I don't want a number scale to compare my behavior yesterday because I don't want to think about the fact that yesterday I didn't want to be here. Um, so specifically with veterans, Ace, to answer your question, yes. And I think the need is beyond urgent. And I I hope that we can continue these conversations and get a hold of our representatives, do whatever we can, write, call, um, write a letter a day, just have a, I I love the trees, but whether it's electronically or on paper, you know, another movie's coming to my mind, which is um, Shawshank Redemption, when he wanted to get a library, uh, you know, for the prisoners. And so he just sent a letter a day and, and bugged people till he shut up. Um, I don't know if you guys remember that movie, but it's that kind of urgency is yep. what I feel around getting some things done and just not going away, you know, being that mosquito that, that, that just hovers until somebody gives an answer, because I think the need is, is beyond urgent. It's, it's everywhere.
4: But
1: also Barbara, I, I wanted to, you know, Kind of piggyback on the research portion portion of it. When when it comes to uh, like the uh, portion you sent me yesterday, the uh, heroic heart project. Yes, those guys. Those guys actually they actually do the research while the while the vet actually goes through Thank and you. through the whole processes and everything like that. So they they do the EEG caps and everything like that. So they get everything down and so they can actually put everything up and show everything, show everybody, Hey, this is the process. And that's actually when I, when I was talking about uh, the two senators, I, I said, uh, or representatives, I, yeah, uh, that, that they were, you know, they took this information and gave it to them and said, Hey, look at what we have. They they were a part of that. So it's, it, it it's happening. It's just, it's it's a slow process it's the government you know i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and all vets are at at that part of like okay we're we're used to hurry up and wait you know and yeah and and, it, and it's like a and it's a you know we go back to the drink water move on you know kind of thing and even here in fairbanks i can i can say with the va here at least we got a veteran center which is like alternate to the va the Veterans Center really doesn't have to say anything to the VA. There, There's therapists there. But uh, the VA here, have, they're, they're limited uh, because of where we are in Alaska and everything like that. I think there's like uh, about three therapists there for all of Fairbanks. Uh, and there used to be four, one retired. Uh, I'll just say I'm waiting for my new therapist, cause my new therapist and my old therapist retired. So, <laughs> so yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, th- but that's usually the problems with it. And then they're like, everybody here is just booked up so much because they're on that therapy cycle of, okay, seven people a day, this, that, and the other, and they're just worked to death too at the same time. Um, so it's, it's a it, it, it's a balance too. Even with the VA, it's like we have this many people. How many how many uh, video therapies can we get? How many of this can we get? So yeah. they do the best they can. Uh, I'm hoping they're doing the best they can, and they just don't write people off. Obviously, but yeah, I mean it's it's still a wait, you know. And I'll just say she yeah. retired uh, last week, last month. I mean, and uh, I. Yep. Still waiting on my updated therapist of who I'm going to. So,
2: that's got to be I just um real really quickly, I want Mark, thank you so much for expressing that because I have a feeling you're expressing that for so many whether whether folks are are listening right now or will listen in the future or I I feel that as a message and the one response I can give is please there are there are communities where you are you are with your peers, um, whether it's Hero Cards Project, whether it's um veterans of War.org, whether there there are a lot of them where at least, you know, there are integration and again, um, Empathic Society is not veteran specific, but there are veterans in that community. It's, this is a way of finding family that you get to choose or peers that you choose. And at least conversations like this are happening and you can be heard and it can be in confidential space. It can be um, making connections and then making plans to go out. There's veterans walk and talk is another one um, where these conversations are not taboo. People can, you know, for the first time can say like, well, maybe you want to talk about emotions. I don't, or it's, it's not like that stigma that's going to keep coming back to you. These are open communities where there's fellowship and you don't have to wait. And even with, I understand, even with a retreat, even with access to a psychedelic, there's a waiting process. There's a screening process. There's a process of intention and, and that's for safety. That's set for very specific reason, but connecting with others is something that, you know, that can happen and who knows where that can lead. So I would just encourage that. That's, that's what saved me. That 's what absolutely saved me was getting out and and that's a conversation that just came up recently uh, during an integration circle um, with with just a, the kind of general idea of loneliness and isolation can be a killer so that is the one thing that's that is available and that is out there and I would um, and I'm happy to put a list up later if we can post it on the site or Um, to provide as many resources as possible. And I have those, I know who can help me who are much well, you know, better versed, but in terms of community and fellowship and finding that you're not alone and, and actually discovering how many others are out there feeling the exact same way that can be almost instantaneous. And I would love to provide that, you know, later or uh, however I can in terms of follow-up because I know that that is there and that's very, very healing as well um, in terms of, Community and exchange and, uh, and fellowship and making relationships and connections.
0: Yeah, Barb, I'll uh, be sure to put a little bit aside in just a minute as we close up. Um, just in the essence of time, we're going over time. That's okay, though. That means good, <laughs> good dialogue. I mean, there's a lot to say. Um, conversation. I want to open it up to questions from the uh, audience, as Mark s- uh, suggested a minute ago. Um, so if you have a question, you can put it in the chat or you're welcome to call in. Looks like we've lost some of it going over, lost some of our
5: listeners.
3: My experience has been without psychedelic assisted therapy, without a therapist and a presence there that understands.